Good job, y'all. Grace and peace to y'all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good seeing everybody this morning. We're going to jump right into it and continue in this series that I've been on for a while uh, titled After Easter. Uh, We're starting, well, after Easter, and we've just been kind of marching our way forward, just following the timeline of what happened after Jesus rose from the grave. And we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 23 through 37. And the title for uh, the message today is, It's a Nice Day for a White Wedding. And... um, uh, I, I see there's some fellow uh, 80s music fans, and for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, 80s music, that was a title uh, of a song uh, played and uh, performed by Billy Idol. Uh, and it's interesting, if you look into the lyrics of this song, it's, 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 it's a very mocking song. Like Some people you know, played at weddings or stuff like that, but if you listen to what Billy Idol's singing about, it's he's mocking or he's kind of uh, jabbing at a, a lady that found herself in a shotgun wedding. And, uh, you know, and so his line, it's a nice day for a white wedding, it's kind of very accusatory or kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, and you might be wondering, Zach, why in the world are you using that title for a message? And I, I promise it, it'll tie in. Um, so we're starting and reading at verse uh, 23 in Acts chapter 4. We read, After Peter and John were released, because remember last time they were taken by the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the council, and they were questioned. So this is after they released them because the only thing they could accuse Peter and John of doing was healing a lame man. <laughs> and, you know, that's not something that you can actually go to prison for. You know, preaching the gospel, you know, back then, that, that was enough to get you in hot water. Uh, so uh, we read, After Peter and John were released... They went to their own friends and reported everything the high priests and the elders had said. When they heard this, with one mind, they raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, you said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. For certainly in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and people of Israel, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did whatever your hand and your plan had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, look at their threats and give to your servants the ability to keep on speaking your word with all boldness as you stretch out your hand to heal and as signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. Also, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The whole group of believers was one in heart and soul. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with great power and abundance grace. And abundant grace was on all of them. There was not a needy person among them, 
For from time to time, those who were owners of land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds received from what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each one according to what anyone needed. Joseph, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. It's a very interesting passage. Uh, if you noticed in verse 28, it may, it, I want it to be a cause for a pause as you read this. Verse 28, after they, the, everyone in one voice was, was, was speaking and praying to the Lord, and in verse 28 they said, and they, they mentioned that everything that had happened with Jesus, everything that had happened to his crucifixion, they said they, and that with Pontius Pilate and with the Gentiles, they said they did whatever your hand and your plan had decided beforehand should happen. They recognized that God is in complete control of what is happening. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were already decided by God beforehand to happen. Understanding this and believing this can be of great comfort especially when it doesn't feel like God is in control. Me? God, what is going on? Are you asleep? Can't you see that I'm in a boat and there's waves and there's storms and everything and you're asleep in the corner? What are you doing? Like Peter and John being questioned before the Pharisees and that persecution will come. I'm wondering if, you know, if it was me and all this is happening and I'm Peter or John or the early disciples and being pulled in front and being questioned and it's looking really bad. I mean, Jesus promised that the world would hate them because the world hated him. So, I mean, it's things that Jesus knew were going to happen. And then notice verse 29. They said, Now, Lord, look at their threats and give to your servants the ability to keep on speaking your word with all boldness. Notice that they did not pray for the threats to stop. They didn't pray for the persecution to end. They didn't pray to be hidden away and removed from the trials and tribulations that were coming against them. They prayed for boldness to continue to speak the word of God, Jesus. They understood that that was the mission. And it still is the mission and vision of disciples and the church today. Go and gather disciples from all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded them. Everything in the life of the Christian, any and all power that the Holy Spirit gives to the Christian is for this mission. Power from the Holy Spirit is not so that the world will come to my church. It is so that the world will, it is to tell the world that Christ came for the world 2,000 years ago and laid down his life to be nailed to a cross and delivered himself up for the world as a gift to it. That's what the boldness and the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for, is to tell the world that Jesus already came for it. Jesus is God's gift to the world. Specifically, the gift of Jesus' body and blood broken and shed for the forgiveness of sins. In the Marine Corps, there was 
the two major things that we kind of always kept in our mind, especially when things weren't going really well for, you know, troop welfare. You had two priorities as a Marine, especially as you were on duty. Priority number one, and this was the number one priority that was above all at any time, at all time, mission accomplishment. That was the number one priority. Number two was troop welfare. Troop welfare never, ever, ever took the place of mission accomplishment. If it means you had to be a little muddy or be a little wet or have rain on you or be a little hungry or be a little tired for the sake of accomplishing the mission, so be it. And you knew that. That doesn't mean you didn't grumble. That means you probably didn't like what was going on, but you had a goal. You had an objective and you have a mission, and that's what you as a unit were driving towards. In the same way, and, and it's yes and no, but when I, when I read this part, it made me think about that priority list. Priority number one in this life as a Christian is to love our neighbor. Specifically, the greatest way to love our neighbor is to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a time and place for everything. I'm not saying, you know, when someone's struggling with something or trying to, play, trying to change a tire, that doesn't mean go up to them, hey, tell them the gospel and then leave them. You know, you, know, you kind of, you know, understand, you know, infuse yourself into the life of your neighbor. And I guarantee you that the Lord will bring about an opportunity. It doesn't have to be heavy-handed. It doesn't have to be obnoxious. It doesn't have to be at the wrong time. Just pray for his discernment. You never know what an act of love for someone who needs it might, might say, might do. And this is a very motivating thing to observe in the early church, this prayer for boldness to complete the mission and not the removal of their trial and their persecution. So they understood that that wasn't, that wasn't the, 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 the issue at hand. Yes, the trials are a problem. The trials, they don't like it. But they wanted to pray for boldness to speak through it, to speak in spite of it, to have strength and for courage to continue to preach the gospel no matter what, to, to, to continue on with the mission. There's so many stories throughout history that you can go and you can read the heavy persecution of the church and see these miraculous stories of as, as they are being persecuted, they are imitating or they are reciting the words of Jesus while he was on the cross. Father, do not hold this to their account, for they don't know what they are doing. Stephen said that as the rocks were raining in on him. I'm sorry. My, my, my fight or flight switch has been snapped off on the flight, I mean, to, to fight. And so if I'm being, if, if, if some sort of physical something is coming towards me or to people I love, my gut natural instinct is to fight. So, so to ha- that, if that, that has got to be something outside of me. Use, like Stephen, you know, God, don't hold this to, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that I could do that. I'm not going to be up here and say, oh, yes, I would be, oh, Father, please. I hope I would, but let's be honest, I don't know. That had to have been the Lord. 
But it had to have been the Holy Spirit empowering Stephen to think that, to say that. Verse 32 through 35. Notice the closeness of the early church. They lived like one body. They acted as if they were a part of each other with Christ as the head. It is easy to look at this passage and stop right there, thinking that is how life in the early church was for a very long time. And that, and, and, and that oh, okay, you know, that, that must have been awesome for them. They all were in this one big community and they all lived happily ever after. But the three rules of sound biblical interpretation are context, context, context. If you keep reading, you'll notice we're in chapter 4. You go into chapter 5, and we're already having the episode with Ananias and Sapphira. And if you're like me, and if you ever thought about lying to anyone or anybody as a kid, you were scared to death immediately over the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And then in chapter 6, we keep going, and we read about that there was discrimination in the church that already started, that the Hebrew-speaking Jews were overlooking the Greek-speaking Jews as widows in the daily distribution of food. So not even a chapter after this, and it's already the church is getting all kinds of issues. And then if we continue down this path through the New Testament chronologically, we see the Apostle Paul writing letters to churches, exhorting, rebuking, and correcting these churches in matters like Having division in the church, following foolish human wisdom, struggles with sexual immorality, idolatry, spiritual pride, abusing the Lord's Supper, having the Lord's Supper without other members present on purpose so as not to share in it with them, doubting the resurrection, listening to false apostles and false prophets, believing in false gospels, being bewitched by subtle false teaching, hypocrisy, rivalry between believers, grieving the spirit through unfaithfulness, material unfaithfulness, rivalry over the gospel, threats of false teaching and self-made religion, idleness, unbelieving hearts, rebellion, crucifying Jesus again, and in the book of Revelation, just go and read what Jesus wants John to write to all the different churches. Look at the current and present conflict between the flesh and the spirit of Paul in Romans 7. Romans 7 wasn't Paul's first, first take on, the, on, on writing to churches. It was later on. He had written to the church in Thessalonica. He had written other letters already. So this isn't brand new baby Christian Paul. This is present right now in the moment. Paul saying this, what a miserable wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul gives the remedy right after his current problem of failing. In Rome, at the end of Romans 7, at the beginning of Romans 8. The beginning of Romans 8 has helped me on so many times when I've blown it big time as a Christian. Christian failure. Has anyone ever felt like that before? I have. I sin, and sometimes it's immediately right away. Thank goodness that's a blessing to have some sort of conviction over sin immediately. And there's been times where it just keeps going, keeps going. But in that moment where I'm like, I'm supposed to be acting like a child of God. That is not how a child of God is supposed to act. I is not someone who has been saved should act. Am I even saved? And I get in all these fights and wrestles, and then I look at it, and then I remember Romans 8.1, and many other verses like this, but this one specifically. So then, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Indeed, what the law was unable to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did when he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. God condemned sin in his flesh so that the righteous decree of the law would be fully satisfied in us who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The remedy to the hope of the failing Christian, the Christian failure, is the same thing that made the Christian a Christian in the first place. The action and grace of Jesus Christ alone for the sinner saint. Just like Paul and ourselves, this good news is for the church as well. When she stumbles and is unfaithful to Jesus. Have you heard about the ending to the story? Have you heard about the ending? What happens? The church is the bride of Christ, right? His bride has not been very faithful to him. And to suggest that she wears white to her wedding with him, I can almost hear the devil mocking. Yeah, it's a nice day for a white wedding, isn't it? I, 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 I hear that, and I could see how the devil would, would, would use his accusatory lies, which, according to the law, he's just laying out what the law is saying. When he's accusing the church, he's accusing the Christian of who they are outside of Christ. He has no case for the church and for the Christian who is inside Christ which is all of them. You tracking with that? Revelation 19, 6 through 10. And I heard what seemed to be the roar of a large crowd or the roar of many waters or the sound of loud rumblings of thunder saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory because the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready and she was given Bright, clean, fine linen to wear. In fact, the fine linen is the not guilty verdicts pronounced on the saints. The angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He also said to me, These are the true words of God. And I bowed down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The bride of Christ is the church. The bride of Christ, who has many times been unfaithful to him, is granted to clothe herself as, at this marriage supper as if she had always been faithful to him. It will be a very nice day for a white wedding. Hope is found in Jesus Christ. He imputes, gives, grants, clothes, gifts, reckons us, the church, righteousness, a courtesy of the gift of faith in him, courtesy of God's great one-way love to sinners. Jesus is God's gift to the world. This is good news, and I look forward to that day as I gather with you at this great marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's invited, you ask? Whoever may come, come. Whoever may come, come. You're all invited. Jesus has invited you already. The invitations were sent out long, long time ago. Before you were even born. Based off of the life, death, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. As the team comes forward, I want us to ponder on this even more. Think about that. The righteousness of Christ being granted, being given as a gift. Because see, what the bride of Christ wears, what she's being granted on that day is, is a gift given to her by Jesus Christ himself. It's not because she did something great. It's because he did something great. See, when I am unfaithful, when I am faithless, Jesus still remains faithful. God loves you so much more than you think he does. So much more. Any guilt, shame, whatever that you have this morning. Any, any disappointment that you might have on yourself. Any wrath that you think might be coming your way because of what you've done has already been consumed on the cross by Jesus Christ himself. If there was any wrath left, then what he did on the cross wasn't good enough. That means he didn't pay for it all. God forbid that. So when Christ says you are free, he means it. He means you really are free. When he says it is finished, he really means it. It is finished. When God says you're righteous, he means it. Because he's basing that decree of righteousness upon the action and work of Jesus Christ. Being counted as if it was yours. That's the good news. The bad news is, is if I have to fill up my slate now. That's bad news because I can't and I don't. The good news is that Christ gives us his slate to count as if it was ours. Complete, full, and total, and final. So what does that mean now? That you're his beloved. You're his bride. You are righteous. You're, he, you, he, ugh, I, I can't say it enough. And I need to hear it all the time, all the time, because the Christian life is daily death and resurrection. Over and over and over again. I need it. I need to hear the gospel every day. It's so good news to know that I'm free. So what does that mean? I'm free to love my neighbor. You're free to love your neighbor. That's who needs your good works. Your neighbor. Go love them. Tell them about this good news. And tell them about the white wedding. They might be interested to hear about it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.